Good day to you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Film Focus episode 66, a brief look back at the Dragon Ball Z films. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen of the North, South, East, and West, and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, as always, the Hypersonic 55, and I'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film-related discussion. And today, today, oh, this is the episode I have been looking forward to doing like almost in the entire year, and even though I'm giving it to you like pretty much a month later than I promised is here it's time to talk about some dragon ball z films today as you heard from the top of the episode we're having a look back at the dragon ball z films now initially the reason i wanted to do this was because there's a number of dragon ball movies out there and there are just too many to fit in one episode and i feel like just my commentary alone wouldn't be good enough and uh ideally if you were to talk about just the entirety of all the dragon ball z films OVA specials, blah 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 blah, that would take too long, and just with my voice alone, I don't think it would be that interesting, so it would be nice to have other people talking. So, let's just talk about the 15 Dragon Ball Z films that exist in honor of the already out in Japan, but upcoming western release of Dragon Ball Super Broly. Man, I'm hyped for that film, it looks good, I've I think seen some good things about it online in terms of some positive word of mouth, but I've been literally dodging that film like the plague. Bare people keep trying to throw out spoilers all over the place, and on Instagram, there's too many pictures and video clips, and I'm like, get out of here! I need to see that film fresh! So, hopefully, when January comes, I will be there in the cinema to watch it, experiencing a Dragon Ball Z based film in the cinema for the first time at the age of 28. I can't wait, mate. But yeah, so we're going from Dead Zone to Resurrection F. And just for those paying attention, this will be spoiler-based. Now, I'm not going to get into like some deep-cut spoilers because I have 15 films to get through. And I don't want to spend any more than 10 minutes on each. However, I will have certain things to say about some films. Some more so than others. And I won't be able to talk about them in a extensive manner without going into the area of spoilers. So... Let's be honest, these films are pretty old, bar Battle of Gods and Resurrection F. All these films are pretty old, so if you're any sort of Dragon Ball fan, you would have seen these already. You should, you know, know what the deal is. So, yeah, there will be spoilers, and certain films I'll be taking a little bit more time to talk about than others, but I'll be talking about this, these films from not only a nostalgic perspective, but trying to be as objective as possible, because some of these films are pretty good. Some of these films are trash! And I will do my best to explain, uh, but bearing in mind, I'm not going super analytical on this. This is just a casual look back on these films from my perspective. So there will be a little bit of bias involved, but hopefully you will enjoy. So yeah, without further ado, we're going to jump in with Dead Zone. So when it comes to Dead Zone, the first Dragon Ball Z film, I think 
it's okay it's not a very good film overall but what saves it is the fact that it has some interesting ties to the Dragon Ball Z series some of the art and animation is really good and yeah there's some interesting elements in this film that you know make it you know just worth a watch as a Dragon Ball Z fan especially if you know all your like ties to the lore and all that kind of material so yeah when it comes to this film it has a certain level of significance not because it's you know really good or anything but more so due to the fact that it has ties to the Dragon Ball Z anime as it's the first and only film to have continuity with the show in the form of the Garlic Jr. saga between the end of the Freezer saga and the beginning of the Android saga this one happened to pop up in between as the first notable filler arc of Dragon Ball Z and back then I thought it was pretty cool it wasn't until recent years or should I say at least in the last 10 when I started doing you know proper research online and hanging around in internet forums that I found out that a lot of people hated this arc and I was like why it's not that bad but then upon reflection especially after getting the uh, Dragon Ball Z remastered box sets and then going through that again I started to notice how you know kind of inconsistent it, it was with the rest of the show and how insignificant in the giant grand scheme of thing that it was but yeah the Dead Zone film well, I think I like it because well here's some of the positives firstly I do like the way in which he utilized Goku and Piccolo both as individual characters but also together seeing how there was still that crazy tension between them since the 23rd martial arts tournament at the end of Dragon Ball also seeing how these guys were pretty much ready to go at it after taking out Garlic Jr and his little cronies. I also liked how this was attempting to fit itself in as a prequel to the Saiyan Saga or the Dragon Ball Z anime and were it not for a few inconsistencies with certain characters meeting each other when if you go back to the anime like you know is it some of these characters didn't meet each other until now or certain events didn't transpire in a certain way until as said point yeah it, it just doesn't work out too well I've always considered the Dragon Ball Z films even before seeing this one as like you know was it what if kind of films like you know Elseworld kind of material although this one makes a darn good try to try and fit in within the continuity of the TV show I also really like the art and animation like I said before keen-eyed people will notice that this film Tree of Might and I believe it's the world's strongest all utilize uh, you know footage that would be later used in the Western Rot the Dragon introduction that so many of us Western fans adore and I remember watching that intro so many times I'm just like where are all these scenes from I've never seen them in the actual you know TV show but they look hella cool so then when I started watching these films I think when I was about maybe 15 and then started noticing all these things, I'm like oh this is where they took it from and man those scenes are really well animated and uh, the Dead Zone film as, along with the next three films in the uh, series all have such a great attention to detail when it comes to the character designs everybody looks just as detailed and wonderful as they did in the manga but they also have such well animated fight scenes with all the characters having such a fluidity to them and there is one scene in particular which is obviously in the intro for Dragon Ball Z as well where you see Goku sort of hopping in and out of like this crazy fight between two guys with blades along with his like power pole and I'm just like look at this animation it's so slick man it's beautiful so I'll give this film credit it looks great uh, but how about the villain Garlic Jr I mean 
honestly, he's a bit dull. I kind of like his design mainly in his buff state and his little henchmen are kind of cool as well just with their strange designs. But I think the main thing that I like about Garlic Jr. is mainly his thirst for revenge and his ties to Kami mainly because his dad and Kami were in contention for Guardian of the Earth but when Kami was approved and Garlic Senior wasn't he decided to try and get like some crazy man army to try and take over the world but Kami you know basically took him out sealed him away in the death zone so now Garlic's back to go about and wreak revenge and I thought that was pretty interesting and speaking of Kami as well we don't get to see that much of the character I mean he had a part to play in Dragon Ball and obviously in the early side of Dragon Ball Z before he fused with Piccolo but he had some cool stuff to do in this film and he even took on Garlic for a little while it wasn't an overly crazy match but just to see the fact that he was even in some sort of battle was pretty interesting but yeah overall still like uh, Garlic he's just a little basic a little boring I do like the fact that he's immortal though, that was a smart move on his part. Then there's obviously Gohan, his little weird uh, drunk sequence with the elephants, uh, obviously kind of reminded me of Dumbo, but it was pretty fun, especially with the Japanese soundtrack. The fact that he was peeing on Krillin's head was a bit strange, but you know, whatever, I'll deal with it. It was nice to see Krillin around, and yeah, the use of Gohan's hidden powers to go about and defeat Garlic Jr. was interesting, you know, as a precursor to seeing how powerful Gohan would be later on in the series, but also seeing how Garlic Jr., for being this super badass guy who can summon this weird thing called the Dead Zone that will suck everybody into this sort of strange black hole of death, for all his badassery, he got taken out like a little bitch, hit by like, what, a little energy, like, uh, invisible force wave or something, boom, knocked him into the little Dead Zone and that's it. I'm like, what? What? Okay. And then, just talking about the Dead Zone for a few seconds, um, how does that thing work? So, I understand, it's anime, it's fiction, You there's, there's only a certain amount of logic you can put into this, but essentially, I love the way the Dead Zone shows up, it's sort of like the sky breaks, shatters, and then the Dead Zone sort of shows up, but then, for some reason, I guess, you know, since... Garlic Jr. was the one that summoned it, it just sort of disappears because the person who summoned it is just, you know, gone. But then the dead zone just sort of disappears and then the sky goes back to normal. And I'm like, how does that work exactly? But, you know, whatever. Oh yeah, one other thing that just made me question a few things. Garlic Jr.'s lair, has that always been there? Is that like a remnant of Earth, say like, you know, is it some sort of old ruins? Is it something that he constructed? Also, where did Garlic Jr. come from? How long has he been waiting around to, you know, exact his revenge? Uh, there's, this is a lot of questions I have. I'm very curious. But yeah, Dead Zone as the first Dragon Ball Z film, it's alright. It's worth watching just for, you know, is it the use of some of these characters and the really good art and animation, but that's about it. Alright, and now we move on to movie number two, The World's Strongest, and for me, this is where things get a little bit more interesting, as this is actually one of my favourites. Now, this is one of two of the Dragon Ball Z films I actually own on VHS. I happened to come across it, I think, in the year 2005, I think, or 2004. It was not long after I found Lord Slug on VHS in HMV. Now, you got to understand, being in the UK and not being able to, you know do stuff on Amazon as much as I do now I just had to go outside and find my stuff to buy basically and there wasn't really much of a selection in terms of anime films beyond like Studio Ghibli movies so when I saw these Dragon Ball Z films on sale I was like yo I don't care if it's on VHS I don't even know if these films are good or bad I want them gimme 
I'm a Dragon Ball Z fanatic, gimme. And at first, I ended up liking uh, The World's Strongest, but not nearly as much as Lord Slug, but over the last few years upon rewatching it, especially recently, I've come to find that it's actually one of my favorites just because of the way in which certain characters utilize the villains a little bit more interesting this time around. The iron animation and the fight scenes are really good and there's just some really cool and unique stuff done with the music and yeah it's good it's just good and I think I also just enjoy the smaller scale stories as opposed to some of the crazier like uh, out there stuff that comes with you know Dragon Ball Z in the series so what is this one about essentially you happen to have the uh, villains Dr. Cochin happens to use the Dragon Balls to summon Shenron to get his old master Dr. Wheelow out of the ice and they have a plan to basically get the strongest person on the planet to come to their crazy lair so that they can defeat them and then transfer the mind of Dr. Wheelow who is literally just being kept alive by a machine transfer his brain into the body of the strongest person on the planet and then exact their revenge upon the world or just do world dominance something along those lines um, I've never really paid attention to those minor details but yeah basically they just want to have a strong bodied person to put the mind of Dr. Wheeler in basically and I, I find it funny that you know Dr. Wheeler's been out of commission for so long that they don't know that Goku's the strongest person so the person they go to is Master Roshi but it does lead to some interesting stuff with uh, you know humorous moments with Master Roshi and Bulma but also allowing Master Roshi to show off his bad man skills because us Dragon Ball fans know about how badass he is. A lot of people who didn't watch Dragon Ball probably aren't aware of how important Master Roshi is to the Dragon Ball franchise as a whole, but we all know that badass. He taught Goku and Krillin and he was a bad man lurking about in the martial arts tournament, running around as Jackie Chun and stuff. It's only in like Dragon Ball Super and some of the other movies that we get to see him utilize his abilities, you know, beyond just being a pervy man. But I did enjoy seeing his fight scenes in this film. He held his own pretty well for the first few minutes against those crazy robot creations of Dr. Wheeler. They were cool, man. He looked good. But then obviously he got beat like a bitch. Um, but it was it was fun. Um, I, do, I did enjoy Dr. Cochin and uh, Dr. Wheeler's backstory as... Uh, two scientists who did unethical experiments way back when and their conversation with Bomber was pretty interesting learning that these guys did these crazy things to um, you know environments and people that uh, was thought to be a nom uh, natural phenomenon but it was actually them and I'm just like wow man these guys are craft little punks aren't they uh, so I did enjoy that I also like liked how uh, even Dr. Cochin after all these years had modified himself to have like a sort of Gatling gun attached to his arm so that was pretty interesting I like that it felt like a precursor to what we'd see with Dr. Gyro how he you know changed himself from being a human to being a part cyborg himself and Dr. Wheelow is a villain he's a little basic both of these guys just want to you know do the whole world domination thing but I did enjoy them just as a different kind of villain as opposed to some of the more out there characters whether they be aliens monsters or some sort of other kind of freaky thing but the utilization of all the characters is really good like I said before Master Rishi was pretty cool seeing um, Gohan and uh, Krillin in the film was pretty good as well I also like seeing Oolong and I really like the use of Goku because at this point he has the powers of uh, Kaioken or Kaioken 
and I just love the you know I'm just slipping into the art and animation this was delicious these first few films especially I think was it the first three really show off how good Goku and some of these other characters are at martial arts they have all these great poses utilizing all these great uh, stances poses hand-to-hand -hand combat is wonderful when people get punched and kicked there's a great sense of impact to everything that happens everybody flies twists spins and does all these cool animated motions that look like they're out of you know a live-action film but obviously animated a lot more hardcore I just loved it it was gorgeous and obviously the art again really good very accurate to the manga this film is visually delicious and it has so many good stuff and I also like the use of uh, Dr. Wheelow's little um, robot minions they all have distinctive designs whether it's the big fat elastic one or that crazy nutcase one that's green with the weird electric tentacles that shoot electricity out or the weird pink one that shoots ice I like the whole change of elements and it also required Goku to have a slightly different strategy against uh, you know taking some of these out but man, just oh, the slickness of some of the animation when Goku's trying to take these guys on, so good! I like this film in the dub, or I also like it in the sub as well. The Japanese soundtrack is my preference of the way to go for these uh, films going ahead. I'll explain why when we get to some of the latter films, but yeah, The World's Strongest is, is a good one. I say just for all the visual side of things alone, it's really fun. Alright, and now we move on to movie number three, The Tree of Might, and honestly, this is actually one of my least favorite films in the series. I would actually say that this is one of maybe three that I've watched the least. I think I've only watched this film maybe about three times. Um, I think it's just because of the way it treats the secondary cast and introduce a villain who is interesting in concept but confusing as to how he exists and it also feels like a bit of a rehash of what happened in the Saiyan saga when it comes to the way in which Vegeta and Nappa showed up on Earth you had all of the main Dragon Ball Z Z fighters come out to you know fight them most of them all got beat up Goku's the last one that exists essentially he gets around to defeating them and peace is restored but it's just that a much lesser interesting kind of way now I have no issue with the heroes facing overwhelming odds and getting beaten up but this film made it seem like everybody was so weak and useless and it didn't make full use of their abilities and the fact that Goku didn't try to eat the fruit himself or at least consider it was just a little bizarre uh, now I understand that at this point in the show especially in the Saiyan saga most of the characters were outclassed but they at least had their moments to shine in this film even when characters are busting out some of their best moves like Yamcha's spirit ball or Krillin's destructo disc the villains are still able to like get by these abilities and everybody just gets taken out like just such little punks and I'm like come on now do you really hate the secondary cast that badly that you're gonna go about and make them fail so badly it's awful but this is mainly just watch everybody get beat up the movie and I, I don't find that overly enjoyable at all um, and there's just a lot of questions overall in this film with no answers that just bugs me Let's just talk about the animation real quick, uh, you know, the visual production. Like I said before, these films are very detailed and this film is really good. And 
I just like seeing Goku go up against several guys doing all these cool things seeing Yamcha use his spirit ball was cool and yeah again there's no qualms with the visual side of things it's good uh, good animation no faults there but it's mainly just the story and the main villain that bugs me um, Turles who is essentially evil Goku is sort of like a what if story but within the main continuity of Dragon Ball within this film it just doesn't make any sense okay so Turles I get the general gist of why he exists he's essentially what would happen if Goku didn't bonk his head when he came to Earth and just decided to carry out the mission that he had as a saying to go about and take out people and just go on full on evil I get that however we have no idea how he came to exist why he exists and you know it's not as if he even came from an alternate reality he just is and the it, it, it bothers me it just bothered me if it just said this guy came from another dimension another reality that would just you know clear up so many things but in this film I understand it's an Elseworlds like you know it's a spin-off nothing to do with the main canonical TV series but if you're gonna have like a doppelganger at least give us a reason as to why it exists there is no reason why Turles should exist in the way in which he does but he's just evil or Goku he comes along to go about and plant the seed that will give life to the tree of might that has these fancy man fruits that apparently only Shenron can eat but he can eat it and this is the first of the Dragon Ball Z films to introduce a world ending event in the sense that the Tree of Might really does suck the living daylights out of the planet and since it's so huge and has such repercussions for the planet as big as it grows and the more fruit that it produces the planet just goes to crap and I'm just like yo man this is a very large scale event and while obviously the series is no stranger to you know world ending events this did feel like going from smaller scale crazy events to just large scale events and I'm just like okay this is a bit much for me um, but also I just I wasn't overly keen on the fact that Turles was just like okay I'm gonna plant this tree and you know destroy the earth but also eat the fruits and make everybody look like punks and yeah I mean even the way he gets defeated just didn't feel overly satisfying. It's not like the heroes got like a proper, you know, find their strength from within yourself to take them out. It's like they barely survived. Um, so I just didn't find this film overly impressive. I did like the fact that we had the introduction of Icarus. It's funny how Icarus, the dragon, is a non-canon character that found his way into the TV series. Though, that's with a caveat that he's in a non-canon filler arc. But I've always liked Icarus. He was one of my, you know, was it favorite like animal buddies that just sort of hanged around with Gohan. I like that. And the whole uh, Gohan and Krillin saving the forest from, uh, you know, danger and all that sort of stuff. That's cool. But yeah, this film, there's just nothing to it really. Again, you only watch it just to, you know, just if you're curious. And obviously for the visual side of things. But there is nothing to this film. Boo. Move on. Alright, and now we move on to movie number four, Lord Slug, and this is where things start to get interesting again. Of all the Dragon Ball Z films that exist currently at this point in time, it is the one I've seen the most, mainly because it was the first one I owned on VHS, and I watched this so many times. 
mainly because, again, the art and animation is really good. But I also like Lord Slug as a villain because of his ties to, um, you know, the Namekian race. And I like the music, the utilization of some of the characters, and um, seeing the uh, film also in the big green dub has always uh, had its, uh, you know, ups and downs, but I've actually come to enjoy it a lot more just before the absurdity of the voices, especially uh, Lord Slug's little minions. There's that weird little dude with the frog face who has those weird little minions that he can summon from his back. Uh, he, that guy just has some weird voices. All the characters in the bloody green, big green dub is strange. But yeah, this film, I really like it. And it's just fun. It's just some good, clean... Dragon Ball Z stuff with some weird material thrown in. Now, there's also, you know, just some points where some of the other characters do get like uh, messed about and not put to good use, but again, overall, it's pretty good. So, what's this film about? Basically, you have Lord Slug, this really old guy who's been trying to uh, look for the Dragon Balls, and through his uh, mind reading ability which he uh, gets from Bulma he finds out about how the uh, Dragon Balls work, where to find them and he summons the dragon to wish for eternal youth so that he can be as strong as he was way back when. So um, along with that he also comes with his uh, you know massive ship and his cronies and they have this sort of device that they're going to use to cover up the uh, sky with big thick clouds that will block out the sun which allows not only the uh, henchmen that he has to you know breathe in this environment but it also you know makes the planet a lot colder and a lot darker which you know just means it's better for them but yeah this film does well to allow uh, you know Piccolo to have some moments of shine as well there's that weird orange guy that he goes up against that sort of reminds me of Dodori in terms of his sort of stocky design and some of the spiky stuff that's on his arms and head I think but yeah the fact that Piccolo beats that guy up so easily breaks the dude's arm and just wrecks him I'm like wow Piccolo you're so mean uh, I also liked how Gohan had some moments to uh, fight in this film and even Chi Chi had some moments to uh, you know do some Mortal Kombat but then she got beat up straight just with a punch to the gut I'm like oh poor Chi Chi that's no good but anyway, yeah, I like seeing some of these characters. I like the concept of what Lord Slug's trying to do, you know, ruin the planet so that he can, um, you know, just exist with his little cronies. Some good stuff. I also like seeing Goku go up against Lord Slug and whew, we have our first major transformation in this film. Now, it's not quite Super Saiyan, but I think it's what everybody referred to back on the internet way back when as the sub-Super Saiyan form. Where Goku has the golden aura, he has the hair that stands up on end, but it's not quite golden, and he doesn't have the pupils. But when he transforms, it is one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen as a Dragon Ball Z fan. With the Japanese music, uh, when it kicks in, so where uh, when Lord Slug attempts to punch Goku, but then Goku holds a punch and he just bust out that aura and the music kicks off and then it cuts to that scene where all the uh, broken down shops with the windows all the glass smashes and that music when it kicks in oh my gosh whoo every time I see it that moment gives me chills it's freaking 
awesome. This sub Super Saiyan form, I wish had shown up in the series in some way, shape, or form. I think the closer we ever got to it was in the uh, filler arc when Goku went to the other world with Pycon to go about and take care of, uh, you know, the Ginyu Force. And there's that one point where he has the Super Saiyan aura. You know, with his his hair standing up on end, but he wasn't in like the Super Saiyan form, and he just took them all out, and that looked so cool. But yeah, that was really interesting. But what's even more interesting is when after that you find Lord Slug rip off his arm and then grow another one. He's like, oh my god, the guy's a Namek. But m more so than just being able to like you know uh, regrow his limbs, he's able to grow to a massive size, and Goku gets owned. Pretty much in the same way that Aiki did against like uh, Vegeta in his Great Eight form back in the Saiyan Saga, which is again a recurring theme of Goku just getting squashed and hurt by a lot of really big people for some reason. But I enjoyed that. But it was also cool to see Piccolo come back in out of nowhere and utilize the weaknesses of the Namekians in order to go about and help Goku out. You know, not only with the antenna, but also ripping out his ears so when Gohan decides to whistle. It weakens Lord Slug enough for Piccolo to transfer his powers to Goku, and that was pretty cool as well. So yeah, there's just a lot of really fun stuff in this film that I quite liked. Oh, and I can't mention this film without talking about one of my favorite animated sequences in any Dragon Ball-related thing ever. The scene of Lord Slug, like, uh, using his extendo arms and smashing into the ground, and Goku running up his arm, running all the way up there, and then blasting him in the face. That is so friggin' sweet, man. I love that scene. It's just really well animated, very slick, and I'm just like, what a boss, Goku. Just like, send that blast right to his face. Mm. Um, and this is something I should have mentioned beforehand, but I also really like the uh, whistling scene with Gohan in the beginning, with him and Icarus like dancing along to Gohan's weird little song, and Piccolo is just trying to chill by the waterfall, but he's just constantly being distracted and annoyed by Gohan's whistling. So this is the first time that we realize that whistling for Namekians is a bad thing, and obviously it comes to have like uh, you know a great effect during the latter side of the film when you know Gohan's whistling essentially you know is the one of the main things that helps save the day. I also like the use of King Kai in this film, how he not only was able to uh, give Goku advice about Lord Slug and we learn about Lord Slug being part of this older race of Namekians with these crazy abilities, but also hearing his commentary on Goku as he transformed into his weird sub Super Saiyan form was really nice. And yeah man, there's just a lot to really appreciate about this film. And oh, it, it makes me happy. It's a good film, filled with some good laughs, but also some more serious elements as well. And um, what else can I say? I think the only other thing to mention about the film is just that one scene at the end with Master Roshi where he's just like, he wakes up from a nap and he just, you know, starts stretching. He's just like, oh yeah, you know. Nothing interesting ever happens. I'm like, man, you slept through the entire thing. It's a nice little comedic moment at the end, but yeah, just, it's just good. All right, and now it's time to talk about movie number five, Cooler's Revenge, and this one's pretty decent. Honestly, I've come to appreciate a lot more in recent years. It's not one of my favorites, but there's a lot of stuff about it that I do like. 
I've come to appreciate the more self-contained plot, the ties to the series and references to the Saiyans and Frieza and the introduction of Cooler who is one of the best villains that hasn't joined the series canon yet which I really hope that he does because he's a really good character and I would love to see what their interaction would be like in the actual anime series as opposed to you know the what if scenarios that you have in the video games. After having these crazy world ending events and the use of Dragon Balls over the last four films, it was nice to have none of that. It was nice to have a story that felt a lot smaller, mainly just contained to a few mountain and forest based locations and seeing Goku and his friends go up against, you know, pretty tough enemies, but ones that didn't go about and create so much chaos. It was just a self-contained fight you fight against like you know a few characters I did like how Piccolo had some moments to shine in this film he took out a lot of coolest henchmen with such ease and Gohan well he was useless and uh, Piccolo he was only cool for a little while before getting taken out once again like a little punk because no one can allow Piccolo to have too much fun in these films he can only be good for so long but again, I did really appreciate this film and its references to the Saiyans, how Cooler was pissed off that his brother got beaten by like Goku, so he wanted to get revenge just to, you know, make it known that his family aren't a bunch of punks. And the fact that he was even more powerful than Freezer led to some interesting stuff in that department. I wasn't overly keen on the fact that Goku barely got to fight properly and then got hit by that crazy attack because Gohan couldn't defend himself, useless punk. But it was interesting to see Goku fight against Cooler in his base form and obviously using the power of uh, Kaioken but just not to a decent degree because he was able to outclass him in almost every way. Cooler's transformation into his more uh, bulky form that sort of semi-resembled Freezer's, you know, second form was pretty cool. I like the way it's animated, it's very slick, has some really good uh, moments of scaling and use of slow motion and, and that was some cool stuff. And the use of Super Saiyan was cool but not that fancy in my opinion. But this is probably only just after he had uh, you know, utilized the transformation so he wasn't able to control it like he was able to in the series after meeting Trunks. But anyway, what I did appreciate about this film was the ending in the way in which uh, Cooler got defeated. Rather than seeing the spirit bomb for the upteenth time, uh, Cooler attempted to use a supernova attack to try and level Goku and the planet, but nope, Goku was able to, you know, blast the uh, supernova back at Cooler and then send him right into the friggin' sun. That was cool as crap. And again, just no spirit bomb attack. We actually got to see someone get, uh, you know, not only attacked back with their own attack, but see them get sent into the bloody sun. That's one heck of a way to go. So I'm like, mate, Cooler, man, you you, you don't goof with that one, man. <laughs> but yeah, I thought Cooler was cool. The utilization of uh, Kaioken and Goku's transformation and some of the characters was pretty interesting. And um, yeah, the film still looks good. Nicely animated. But yeah, the only reason I don't really come to this film too often is just because it's just a bit meh, really. Besides the fact that we have, you know, Freezer's uh, brother lurking about and seeing some of these uh, interesting callbacks to the Dragon Ball Z series, there's nothing really to this film. It's just a bit... Bleh. So, yeah. Moving on, 
Alright, and now it's time to talk about movie number 6, Return of Cooler, and this might be one of, if not the first Dragon Ball Z film that I actually saw as a teenager well over 10 years ago. Oh man, I actually have some really big nostalgic memories with this film. I think I saw this for the first time when I was around 15 years old, uh, so you're talking about 13 years now, and along with Lord Slug, I'd say it's probably the Dragon Ball Z film I've seen the most, just because... Um, I really took a liking to this back then just because of the action sequences, the uh, utilization of Goku and Vegeta working individually and together with their Super Saiyan forms, the uh, fact that it took place on the new planet Namek instead of Earth also has some interesting stuff to it, and the music as well was uh, a great factor, the, the US dub actually, more so than the uh, Japanese one, but that's back then when I didn't even know there was a Japanese, uh, you know, version for the soundtrack. But anyway, so what's this film about? Basically, you have this big old thing known as the Big Getty Star that happens to find its way to the new planet Namek, spreads itself out across the planet and attaches itself to it, sucking the energy dry. So Dende, who senses the, you know, plea of his people, asks Goku to help out, so they, using one of Bulma's massive uh, capsule corporation ships, travels to new planet Namek to try and see what's going on. All these crazy robots are, you know, trying to attack the Namekians, and Goku's trying to, like, uh, figure out who's the leader behind it, and then we see it's cooler again, except he's in a new metal form. So while Gohan, Piccolo, and Krillin do the fight against the grunts, Goku goes up against Cooler, and for a little while he notices that even though these guys are, you know, fairly matched, Metal Cooler is a lot stronger than the original version of himself is, so Goku has to turn up the uh, power and then go to Super Saiyan. And for a little while he looks like he's winning, but then you find out that Metal Cooler not only can, you know, repair himself, but also has many clones of himself as well, and it's just like, bloody hell. And this is where Vegeta steps in as well to go about and help, and this is the first film to introduce Vegeta as a partial ally, rather than being a villain. So it's always good to see good old Vegeta lurking about, so seeing how Goku and Vegeta try to take on this army, and then get captured, but then utilize their abilities, like not only with their power, but also their beams to take on what remains of Kula inside the core of the Big Getty Star was pretty cool, you know? and. I always thought it was pretty strange how Cooler survived that blasting into the sun. Technically, he should have been done right there and then, but apparently the big gay star was able to uh, grab him before death and then allow him to, you know, create a new body for himself. And, oh, it's just a very interesting, strange little backstory. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, kudos to you, Cooler, for being able to survive like your brother and come back in a metal form just like your brother did. So, you know, yeah, it's all right. I also like the action sequences with Piccolo, Gohan, and Krillin. There's some really good tracking shots of Piccolo attacking and Krillin running away from the robot claws. I also like this film's depiction of instant transmission. Most of the time when we see instant transmission, it's always just a character teleporting from one point to another, but this film actually demonstrated what it was like to see two people moving in that super quick instantaneous movement. Seeing how, obviously, Cooler had adopted that ability as well seeing him chase after Goku while in that state and then being able to grab him, that was pretty damn cool, you know? The art's pretty good, it's still pretty detailed, it's a little different from what it looks like in the previous films, but it's still pretty good overall, and 
yeah man I like this film I think in recent years I've come to like it a little less just because the creativity in the action sequences isn't as hardcore as the earlier films that came beforehand and I would have liked just a few more crazy beam attacks you know signature beam attacks from some of the characters especially like Vegeta but the film's still pretty good I'd say a marked improvement over the original and now we move on to movie number seven which is Super Android 13 and this was potentially the second of the Dragon Ball Z films that I saw and again I had a great affinity for this when I was watching it for the first time way back when but especially watching it recently I like it a lot less than I did I don't know what the old me saw in this film now there are certain elements to it I do like some of the uh, you know music in the US dub is pretty fun and seeing this sort of expansion of the Dragon Ball Z history that we didn't know about when it comes to Dr. Gyro having this sort of computer that he has created in the background to work on new androids to take out Goku should his initial plan have failed was pretty cool because I always found it interesting that he was able to create androids 17, 18 and obviously because of uh, Trunks is messing up with the timeline creating an android 19 and obviously Dr. Gyro turning himself into a uh, android himself but there was no other numbered androids before that so now you happen to see at least 13, 14 and 15 so I'm like okay we're at least building out a little bit more of the uh, numbered androids that exist so far and their designs are pretty interesting one's a weird little short guy with like a sort of big turban-ish looking hat uh, another one's a sort of weird generic big guy with a ponytail and the other guy is a dude with a cap with white hair who in the dubs for some reason has a sort of I guess Texan accent I'm not really good with uh, accents from where they belong to so if there's any American listeners out there that hate me for saying that please do not think me too ignorant it's just that's what Texan people kind of sound like to me and that accent was really extra but anyway um, I like the design of the android, they're all pretty distinctive and cool and yeah so this film essentially has Dr. Gyro creating three other robots via his supercomputer to take out Goku and yeah that's about that. Uh, this film does have some nice little humorous moments uh, in there so like the moments where Goku is unfortunately assisting Chi Chi with the shopping along with um, Gohan and then seeing how Master Roshi and Oolong along with Trunks for some reason are waiting in line for that beauty pageant thing only to find out later on that there was the wrong day that they were in the line I'm like good gravy you guys are idiots but yeah when it comes to the fight sequences everybody gets a moment to shine besides Gohan and Krillin they're essentially useless Piccolo shows up but he doesn't really do much, not from what I can remember anyway. It's interesting to see how Goku, Vegeta and Trunks all turn into Super Saiyans and have that cool little moment and how Vegeta and Trunks are able to take out their enemies pretty quickly but Goku still has like you know a little bit more trouble with 13 and then 13 is like okay my homies are taken out let me just steal their body parts and absorb it into myself and then become a big old green super powerful dude green I meant blue I meant blue I know what bloody color he is it's blue <laughs> but yeah uh, then after that everybody is just no good against him it's almost like a precursor to Broly in the sense that once this guy becomes you know super powered up with all these enhancements no one can really beat him and then in the end as far as I can recall 
Goku somehow what does a uh, I think it's a spirit bomb or something and then he absorbs the power into himself and then uses that to defeat um, Super Android 13 with a punch through the gut and at the time I thought that was well it is interesting from a uh, technique point of view but overall it wasn't an overly satisfying uh, victory and just the fight itself against the android based characters just wasn't very fun it didn't feature any super memorable action sequences none of the characters really got to utilize their abilities in great ways all the secondary characters who weren't super saiyans were literally just you know kicked the crap out of and this goes back to my sort of i guess criticism of movie number two where if characters are failing, you know, is it, I don't mind them failing, but at least give them a fighting chance or make them look like they're, you know, having some sort of effect on the uh, the villains in question. And the, this case, it was just like a bit meh. Um, so yeah, this that's what this that's what I describe this film as overall. Besides some nice little humorous moments, some uh, nice uh, points to see characters like Trunks and Vegeta, and you know some. Um, nice musical moments here and there it's just it's, this film was just blah though I will give this film credit for one moment at the end where Piccolo and Vegeta are just sitting back to back on this little portion of ice that's moving through the ocean and then they're just there and um I think it was Piccolo is like is it over and Vegeta is just like not until the little fish jumps and there's a little fish that just jumps up in the air and just drops back down and Vegeta's like it's over and then that's just it. It's just like the little like uh, breaking of the fourth wall. Just so random and bizarre, but it was just the most perfect thing. So yeah, the film gets extra points just for that bit alone. And now we move on to movie number eight. And this is the one that a lot of people talk about. And depending on who you talk to, it's their favorite of the original Dragon Ball Z films. I am, of course, talking about Broly, the legendary Super Saiyan. <sighs> this film... I think you can tell from my tone I'm not overly keen. I've always been a fan of Broly from a visual design. I've liked how crazy and maniacal he is and how he just destroys just because. And this overwhelming sense of strength and ferocity and just pure intensity, that's what I like about the character. That's what makes him so fun to play as, especially in the uh, fighting games like the Dragon Ball Z Budokai 3 game or the Budokai Tenkaichi ones mainly 2 and 3 however as a character there is nothing to him sure he looks really cool but his backstory is just silly the whole reason that he hates Goku is because oh my goodness he cried next door to me for ages and sure that's very annoying but using that as a reason to hate a character and hold a grudge for that many years come on now that's just pathetic and yeah I mean besides that the guy can barely talk he just runs around just shouting Kakarot Kakarot and it's like okay I get it man like you know was it you don't like Goku yeah you but is, is there anything else you can say uh, Kakarot no okay good gravy but yeah this film does have some interesting stuff in there again this is mainly in the beginning, but I do like the comedic moments that they can sprinkle into these Dragon Ball Z films and the bit at the beginning where Master Roshi is doing those weird little faces was really strange and fun. I also like, uh, especially in the dub version, Krillin doing the karaoke, his voice is awful, I don't know what the hell he's trying to sing, but 
it sounds bad but it was brilliant to watch uh, I also just like the fact that all these characters are just chilling uh, under these wonderful cherry blossom like trees it's a wonderful scene and then when you find out about what this true plot is about with uh, Paragus who is Broly's dad who is off to find Vegeta to bring him to the new planet Vegeta where they want Vegeta to rule but you could tell that something's off but all the characters basically go along for the writers to see what's up and then we see Broly for the first time who you could tell is he just looks a little high you know if the guy took weed he definitely looked like that but uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see how uh, Paragus has like Broly under this sort of like uh, control for a little while but then sees how obviously anytime Goku seems to be mentioned or shows up how he has to try and get mind control on this guy just to keep him under control and stuff like that so yeah I mean I will admit there's certain interesting aspects about Broly when it comes to his uh when it comes to the father-son dynamic how um, these two have had to try and stay alive for this long they've had this sort of secret plan for as long as this and from a younger age I think maybe in his teenage years Paragus noticed these sort of destructive abilities of Broly and basically created this sort of headband mind control device to suppress his abilities just to keep himself in check but yeah uh, after Broly comes out to play and then starts going up against Goku everything just turns into a crazy um, a crazy show of madness and it is fun to see like all these characters go up against such a tremendous force that yeah just can't be defeated Goku, Gohan, Piccolo, Trunks and even Vegeta all get massed, messed up, ruined and yeah again it's interesting to watch but at the same time it's kind of just like okay how much can we watch these characters just keep getting beaten up over and over again uh, and how much can we watch this crazy tyrannical man just shout Goku it's just uh, shout Goku's name you know his uh, Saiyan name how many times over and also I understand that uh, you know Vegeta feels fear from this character uh, you know the legendary Super Saiyan he is uh, you know obviously something of you know myth and I can understand Vegeta's fear but the fact that he turns into such a little useless person I'm like Vegeta pull your freaking self together you're best to be the principal Saiyans I understand you're not even the most powerful person out of the set of the Super Saiyans that we have right now but come on man pull it together it takes him ages to at least commit to the fight 100% and that bothers the hell out of me and again there's some interesting stuff with Broly and his father and the backstory involving that stuff but Broly as a character is just very plain he's very repetitive and the fact that everybody just gets their ass kicked several thousand times it's just not very fun to watch and the way in which Broly gets defeated again doesn't feel very satisfying everybody transfers their energy to Goku and Goku is able to basically take him out with one punch which is kind of cool but you know just not overly satisfying we don't get to see Broly get proper beat down it's just one punch and then he's done and I'm like Oh, that's just not very fun at all. And then there's also the fact that there's a comet coming to the bloody planet and everybody is just about, just about able to escape the planet in the Capsule Corporation ship that they brought along via instant transmission. And I do enjoy how everybody's all cramped up in that uh, spaceship. <laughs> it is pretty bizarre, but it's also pretty funny. 
Oh, and one other thing that needs to be mentioned before I move on to the next film. In the dub version of this film with the, you know, US uh, soundtrack, it was such a painful endurance, man. Oh my gosh. I noticed since movie number six that they had a more rock influence soundtrack, but with this film, especially the amount of metal based music from like, you know, is it notable uh, American rock and metal groups this plastered throughout this film it was infuriating it was just like i understand that a lot of people attribute like rock music to dragon ball z because of the super hardcore nature of it all but my god this is so annoying stop playing this freaking rock music and don't get me wrong i like a bit of disturb but i don't want it playing in my dragon ball z films get lost so that was just very frustrating and annoying and just hearing some of these people just going as in the background I'm like Shut up, man! Get out of here! Friggin' trash! So yeah, that was just not a very enjoyable experience. Just, if you're gonna watch these films for yourself, make sure you're going for the Japanese soundtrack, it's a lot better. And now we move on to movie number 9, Bojack Unbound, and... Uh, we have another dud on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I initially liked this film way back when. I saw it again via the, um, Big Green dub because when it aired on TV on Toonami back in 2005 I believe that was the only dub that was available to us which kinda sucked but you know in this case you take what you get given and I thought it was interesting just because we got to see characters take on uh, another sort of tournament based event we got to see what life was like for Mr. Satan aka Hercule after he took on Cell and how he was meant to be the sort of big main person to take on the last main opponents who proceeded through the tournament basically and I like seeing characters like Tien and Yamcha, Trunks and Gohan take part in this tournament and stuff like that, it was pretty cool uh, this led to some interesting little fight moments here and there, some reminiscent moments of the old Dragable show and there was a lot of comedic parts to this as well, especially with the weird circular arenas that tilted which meant that certain people that obviously couldn't fly would end up sliding off in that moment where all the characters are falling off and trying to grab onto Krillin's head as they slip off I was like damn that's terrible uh, even Yamcha that idiot like you know he's just sleeping on the job or just chilling then he just falls in the water fool it was also nice to see uh, Tien Shin Han take on Trunks Obviously, that was a losing battle straight away for that guy, but it was nice to see those two fight together. And um, what was really surprising about this was the fact that somehow the Earth people had organized this event so that they'd be able to take on crazy fighters from other worlds. And the different places that they got taken to when they, you know, all got in those weird little shuttlecraft things and then got taken to those different environments, I wondered where they were because these places look like a combination of places that could either be on earth or other planets but somehow some of these characters found their way to each other so is this in some sort of weird warp version of reality or is this in space or is this some sort of other location on the on on earth I'm, i don't understand how this place works at all it's weird but anyway um this film basically involves bojack a character who is basically in prison but essentially got released when Goku apparently brought Cell back to King Kai's planet and he blew up. So when Cell blew up, Bojack's little prison got released so him and his little henchmen are back out to go back and cause some havoc. 
and all of the Z fighters go up against them and don't really do too well. Uh, well, sort of. Now I can't remember if any of the Z files was actually able to take out any of these people, but most of Bojack's henchmen were annoying little people who had these little attributes that just made them annoying. So you have that weird little kid in the turban that has that, uh, you know, weird little red line string thing which can, you know, paralyze people and, you know, sort of hold them in place, um, which was really annoying. And yeah, Bojack's little henchmen, they all have these little minor, you know, a little abilities that just make them pesky. I don't like him. But Bojack himself is just so bland. He has a nice design, but overall he's just, there's nothing to him. There's no personality. He comes across as every big macho guy that's existed in Dragon Ball Z beforehand. Uh, there's nothing about his personality that's cool. There's nothing about his abilities that's really good. And he gets taken out like a little punk too. Once Gohan eventually transforms into Super Saiyan 2, he owns everybody. He takes out Bojack's little henchmen sort of like the same way he took out Cell's little junior kids in the Cell game saga. And Bojack, man, oh god, he's so he's so lame. He gets punched in the gut and then just essentially wiped out like a little like a little bitch. Oh. But it was also pretty interesting with Gohan getting beaten up by uh, Bojack a fair amount and then Goku actually uh, you know stepped outside of the rules used instant transmission to go back to earth and hit Bojack and then save Gohan just to you know help him realize his potential once again but this film just doesn't feel overly satisfying just like some of the previous films beforehand the uh, main and secondary characters who aren't Gohan, who obviously is the hero of this story, don't get utilized to the best of their abilities, they get owned like punks left, right and center. The action is less than satisfactory with a lack of, you know, unique action sequences. All the action is so basic and plain um, and Bojack doesn't even get killed in a really satisfying way either. Also, Bojack is just he sounds awful, especially in the Big Green and the Malaysian dub. Those guys really ham up what it sounds like to get hurt. But the one guy, I think, in the Big Green dub, this guy keeps snorting all the time. So he's just like, making all these freaking weird noises. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Who is the voice actor for this? You, you're weird. Um, but yeah, just look up the uh, big green and the Malaysian dub for when um, for when Bojack gets killed. It's it's something to watch. All right, and now it's time to talk about movie number ten, Broly: The Second Coming. Oh, this film is an endurance test. Man, I've only seen this film I think maybe twice before watching it again last month, but my gosh, I don't remember it being so tedious, boring and annoying. This film has no reason to exist and yet it does, and it pisses me off. Basically what we find out is before uh, the planet where Broly was, was uh, you know destroyed by that massive comet, Broly somehow found a capsule and somehow it got to Earth. And he crawled out after it crash landed, but didn't have the power to continue. So he reverted back to his old form, water poured in where he was, and it got frozen over in ice. And he was stuck there for like a number of years until 
Goten, Trunks, and Videl are on the hunt for the Dragon Balls, as Videl really wants to see Shenron, and upon their travels they happen to stumble upon a village not too far from where Broly's been frozen over, and they happen to interact with these villagers who happen to be dealing with a priest who believes that everything's suspicious and he also wants to sacrifice the uh, villagers to the monster that's you know troubling them in order to survive and Videl feeling like that's obviously a wrong thing to do she's like okay we'll go out and take care of the monster so they lure the monster out with food and hide in the little pot and while hiding there and waiting for the monster Trunks wants food he gets food Goten wants food but he can't have any and um, he tries to get some of Videl slaps him which causes him to cry and then his crying reverberates just far enough for Broly in his frozen state to be able to hear him which reminds me reminds him of Goku's crying from before which releases him from the ice and it's just like uh Goten why but also Broly you're still hung up on this crying thing you idiot but then as time goes by and the villagers thank the uh, heroes for you know sorting out their monster problem it is just a big dinosaur in the end uh, they chill out the village but then you hear some earthquakes the day after so they're just like what's going on they get start to get suspicious again so Videl goes up to see what's going on and she actually confronts Broly and I'm just like how does she not know that she's completely out of her league with someone that can fly who looks like a Saiyan but yeah she gets owned uh, you know, as a Goten and Trunks try to go up against him, they play around, but then they realize that, you know, they're out of their league as well. Gohan eventually shows up, but even he doesn't get to, you know, put up much of a fight against him. He gets owned pretty badly as well. And this film also has some weird thing with the Dragon Balls where they do get the dragon together, but apparently he just chooses not to show up. And I don't know if it was just due to the fact that Shenron has never actually, you know, uh, burst through a ceiling and he maybe just needs like extra space in order to fly out. But the characters try to summon him or I think it was Goten or Trunks or whoever it was try to summon him, but he just wouldn't show up. But then there's that one point where everybody's in a moment of desperation getting beaten up by this Broly character again. It's just like, I wish dad was here. And then for some reason, Goku randomly just shows up out of nowhere. And even though the dragon doesn't show up, there's a point in the film where the sky goes dark, so everyone's just assuming maybe that's the way the dragon, you know, uh, assumed the wish got done thing. Yeah, I, that sentence didn't sound very good, but basically, um, it's never fully explained how Goku shows up for this, and whether he was actually there at all, but clearly he has a part to play in this when they do their whole father-son Kamehameha blast thing which is still one of the uh, coolest forms of the Kamehameha that's ever been done. Having this sort of trifecta of Goku, Gohan, and Goten doing this whole Kamehameha thing was pretty cool. But again, it's just like, this film is all about cat and mouse chasing, Goten and Trunks not taking the villain seriously, and getting up to all these stupid antics. I thought Goten and Trunks were fairly tolerable characters in the TV show. They had their annoying moments of being kids and silly and stuff like that, but they knew when to take things seriously, and obviously with the power of uh, Gotenks once they learned how to do fusion, they became even more fun. Gotenks, while his annoying silly antics of not taking things seriously and jumping headfirst into battle without thinking did lead to a lot of annoying moments. I did enjoy his... Uh, crazy antics as a fighter more so than this film. In this film, Goten and Trunks are at the height of just being completely useless, annoying, and just 
why why did the people behind this think that uh, a film revolving around these characters would be a good idea it's frustrating but yeah this film is just superfluous pointless nothing get it out of here trash okay and now it's time to talk about uh, movie number 11 Biobrolly. What's more annoying than having a direct sequel to a film that you didn't really want? How about another one? What were they thinking? Bio Broly is without a doubt the worst of the Dragon Ball Z films. It is just completely unnecessary. Here you have another adventure focusing on all the other characters that you're not overly interested in seeing in you know, the main hero roles. This plot for some reason revolves around some guy who knows Mr. Satan from the past and he wants to get his own back on him by, um, I don't know, creating these weird bio-mutant people that he wants uh, Mr. Satan to fight. And the main hook for this film is the fact that that weird annoying priest guy that got kicked out of the village in the last film found the remnants of uh, Broly's blood and then gave it to this scientist dude to basically create a clone but the clone is unstable and then devolves into this weird sludge monster that can you know shoot beams and stuff like that but is mainly just a whole load of sloppy nothing which makes it hard for the character to fight against he can grow in size and his overall body is all sorts of poisonous and nasty and you know obviously stick around in it too long you're gonna die and the whole film is just I, it's a task. I enjoy seeing uh, characters like uh, 18 and Krillin get to join in with the fun, but without people like Gohan, Goku, Trunks, Piccolo, Vegeta, it's, it's just not the same. It's not nearly as fun. And what can these characters do against like a big blob monster besides try to you know shoot a few beams at it? That doesn't work. And when it looks like they've beaten him, the thing just turns into a bigger sludge monster. And in the end, I think it's just water that was the main thing that ended up killing this thing in the first place. But ah, oh, it's just a task again. The boys are really annoying. Features too much stuff going on with Mr. Satan. He's a fun guy, but in small doses. This whole ongoing thing with uh, Android 18 trying to get her money from him, with her just up, upping the price continuously, yeah, it's just, this film is just, why? Why did it get made? That's all I have to say. This film is trash. You should never watch it. Moving on! Okay, and now it's time to talk about movie number 12, Fusion Reborn, and this is where the film starts to go back into an upswing into the good territory. This is noted by a lot of Dragon Ball Z fans prior to Battle of Gods and Resurrection F to be their favorite of the Dragon Ball Z films, and I can see why. This film is very well produced, has a lot of really fun, interesting references to uh, you know the past actions and moments in Dragon Ball Z history, and it features a villain with a very unique and interesting power set. And while it doesn't have a very, like, you know, fancy origin story, it has a unique story as to how the villain came to be and how it transforms into something even crazier and scarier and more powerful than before. But it also gives us the first fusion of Goku and Vegeta using the fusion dance. Gogeta, who has never been officially made into canon until recently. But yo, man. 
there was a lot of good stuff in this film and I've only seen it I think maybe three times including the time I think I watched it recently but there's a lot to like so what is it about? Essentially the way in which this film works is that there's this one little ogre guy who happens to be taking care of the uh, souls that have to be purified and at one point King Yama is uh, you know was it trying to take care of all the stuff going on with the souls passing in and out of the other world and basically this kid gets distracted by his heavy uh, metal music doesn't notice that the purification machine is uh, getting overflown and so when it bursts all that evil energy pours all over him and then he turns from his weird self into this big fat blob monster known as Janimba and with the uh, powers that Janimba has it creates a barrier around King Yemma's like uh, domain which means he can't handle the souls that are coming in and out of the other world which means all the other souls are free to run from hell back to earth and this is where all of the previous villains like Frieza, the Ginyu Force and all these other guys start invading earth and stuff like that which leads to some fun and interesting moments involving Gohan, Videl, Goten and Trunks and even uh, you know, Mr. Satan taking on some zombies which was pretty fun as well while it takes a little while for Goten and Trunks to actually take things seriously and actually do some good battle damage and uh, show up as Gotenks as well I think uh, but some of their stuff is just a little tedious watching them run around and just like oh look it's Hitler and like, look at these guys and blah 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 I'm like dudes just take them out already stop being so silly uh, what was cool though, seeing Gohan, you know, take out Freezer with such force, even though he wasn't in his super powered up uh, Super Saiyan 2 state or in his mystic form, just seeing how far he's come from that little boy to uh, this man who could take on Freezer in such a confident way, I'm like, yes, mate, Gohan, you're my boy. But uh, on top of that, I like the concept of Janimba just because he's sort of similar to Margin Buu in the sense that. He's a big lovable oaf who is only semi-aware of what he's doing and has all these fantastical powers that he uses just to, you know, play around with the enemy or just to amuse himself. But Janimba with the teleporting punches and uh, being really quick for a fat guy is really cool, is very interesting. But then to see Goku, like, you know, beat up on him so much and then have Janimba transform into the more devil-like individual that we saw. Uh, you know, with the pink and purple, with such a sinister face, the ability to, you know, was it teleport and redistribute itself, sort of like that weird uh, cube dispersing technique thing that the Transformers did in Transformers Age of Extinction, I know we don't like to bring up that film, but you know, it's a similar comparison, and seeing Janimba with a little sword of his, and the extendo arms, I love his power set, it just makes for a very interesting character and seeing how Goku, even in Super Saiyan 3, wasn't able to like uh, hold off against it for too long and even Vegeta, being dead and all, he fights for his life, literally, for his soul but, you know, he's overwhelmed as well, so it only comes down to these guys doing fusion to, uh, you know, essentially save the day and I like how they get the fusion wrong just like Gotenks did the first time but then to see them actually obviously pull a fusion properly and be super powerful and beautiful is great I love it and yeah man this film is just very nicely detailed I think it's a lot prettier than a lot of the previous Dragon Ball Z films 
because I'd say the first five Dragon Ball Z films, probably, yeah, first five are really good. Movie number six is decent. Movie number seven is okay. Movie number eight is pretty nicely detailed. But from there onwards, nine is okay in places. I'd say it's pretty good, but not great. Movie number 10 is trash. 11 is awful. And 12 has the more distinctive line work that I like with um, some of the uh, promotional art that they use for the characters. Everything is nicely animated. It has like, you know, a nice looseness to it. Very fluid, very nice. Some of the attacks are really memorable and just features some good stuff in there. I like this one. It's a return to form for these films. All right, and now it's time to talk about movie number 13, Wrath of the Dragon. And this is the last of the classic Dragon Ball Z films. Now, this one is also noted as one of the favorites amongst certain fans in the fan base. I have uh, seen that a lot of people like this film because of the action sequences, the uh, introduction of Tapion and Hyrudagon as the main monster that obviously has a, uh, you know, ties to Tapion. Um, and obviously some people like this film because of Tapion and Trunks' relationship and how Tapion gives his sword to Trunks, which is obviously foreshadowing trunks from the future how he got his sword in that point in the series as well so i'm like oh okay has some nice ties here and there there's some cool action sequences and obviously goku using the super dragon fist which is freaking badass i like that a lot um what i didn't notice was upon re-watching this film i didn't realize how much slower than it was that i realized I do enjoy Tapion's backstory. He is a unfortunate character who is uh, burdened with having to try and stay awake to keep this monster that's trapped inside him from, you know, wreaking havoc and all that sort of stuff. And you have this annoying little wizard man who um, somehow finds his way to the uh, Z warriors and asks them to open this little box so he can release Hyrudigon, the monster in question, upon everybody. And obviously, everybody doesn't know at the time that what's inside the box is actually Tapion, and he's tied to, you know, was it Hyrudagon the monster? So yeah, Tapion, once you learn about his backstory and uh, seeing how that plays out and seeing how him and Trunks form their relationship with him being initially fairly cold to him, but then Trunks constantly coming back, and then I think maybe him seeing something in Trunks that he saw in his, like, I think, was it other sibling? Seeing how those guys form a bond is pretty cool. Uh, again, the action is pretty cool, and there's been a while since we've seen a major, you know, massive scale monster attacking our heroes, so you get to see some cool stuff done with scale, and um, there's some interesting moments for humor, but also seriousness as well, and I think this film is good, it has its moments, but I wouldn't say it's like one of the best, I'd say it's one of the most interesting, but there's just a few moments where I'm just like, uh, okay, uh, I guess this is happening. Why is this happening? There's a few answers that I don't think, uh, there's a few questions that I don't get answered to basically. And as an overall film, I just find it a little tedious where you have so many of these moments that, uh, you know, Tavion's constantly like, uh, telling Trots to get lost, constantly trying to stay awake, um, and constantly in this state of, uh, you know, depression and, uh, guilt and again I understand all of that but this doesn't make for a very interesting film to me it just makes for a film that has occasional moments of really fun action and story but yeah it's good but just not great for me 
And so now we move on to Dragon Ball Z movie number 14, the first of the modern era of the Dragon Ball films in the form of Battle of Gods. And I'm going to say it straight up front. This is my favorite of these films. It means so much to me. And even though I've only seen it now, I think about five times. Each time I watch it, I get more and more hyped about the stuff that I love about it each time. This film has a wonderful balance between the seriousness and humor that the previous films just doesn't have. It has a lot of new and interesting action sequences that we've never seen in a Dragon Ball film before. It also introduces a lot of cool and interesting mythology that the series hasn't displayed up until this point and it has two new characters that really fit into the Dragon Ball mythos really really well and this is also the first canon based Dragon Ball film and it feels so good because it properly feels consistent with what's come before as opposed to some of these other films that have tried to fit in within the general space of the Dragon Ball Z series that just haven't you know clicked completely but this one works so what is this film about basically you happen to have Beerus the god of destruction learning about the defeat of Frieza at the hands of Goku but you also happen to have this premonition that something known as a Super Saiyan God will appear to him at some point to challenge him as a new opponent so he travels to the North Galaxy to visit Goku and then find out what the deal is with this Super Saiyan God thing and this film is all sorts of fun. One of the things I really like about it is the fact that it has a more ominous tone and it has a lot of moments of tension and mystery and builds up to a lot of crazy stuff that will come later on. And I also like how humorous it is. One of the complaints I've heard from some fans about the film was the more comedic tone, but I feel like it's one of the best aspects of the film. Anyone who knows the Dragon Ball franchise properly knows that humor has been an inherent part of the series since its beginning and having the humor counterbalance the more serious side of the film was great. So many characters, whether they be new or old, have these great comedic moments. Whether you're talking about Vegeta when he has to obviously try to keep Beerus calm and does that crazy dance number with the bingo stuff, or when you have Beerus having all these interesting interactions with other characters, Mr. Satan has some great moments or when Gohan gets really drunk and then pretends to be Great Saiyan while Emperor Pilaf is trying to uh, kidnap Trunks and you know bargain with the guys to get money and then he you know busts out the Great Saiyan uniform and then deflects those gun bullets just because he thinks it's a fake gun. Love it. And there's just so many great comedic moments but I think my favorite stuff comes from Emperor Pilaf, Mai and Shu. Those guys have been some of my favorite materials since the old days of Dragon Ball and while they're here primarily as comic relief they do have like these really great moments to shine in this film. Those guys are idiots always getting into so many stupid situations but just watching their struggles has always been fun for me so I love like what they did with these characters in this film and um I especially love Mai and uh, her interaction with Trunks because she gets so shy about Trunks pretending to be her boyfriend and all that. I love that stuff, especially when she gets all flustered about holding hands. Oh my god. These guys, watching their silly mishaps as a long-term Dragon Ball fan was just delightful. But let's talk about the new characters really briefly. I like Whis. Whis is the companion of Beerus and he seems like a regular attendant until you find out later on that he's actually a teacher of Beerus and I'm like oh my god he's even more stronger than Beerus like what the hell? But he does have these interesting comedic moments and I love how much he loves food as well and 
also Beerus. As the God of Destruction, he is a great new character for the franchise. He has just this wonderful um, look to him. He's very calm and collected, very cool, very sure of himself, but is very quick to anger and easy to provoke. And I love how this film hinges on the fact that he is just looking for this Super Saiyan God, which he doesn't even know whether it exists or not. And I also love that he has ties to not only Frieza, but also the destruction of the dinosaurs, and how he was also responsible for King Kai's planet getting, like, you know, is it reduced in size as well. And I'm like, what is going on? How much has this guy actually had a hand in? But one of the things I also love about Beerus is that straight from the get-go, you see how powerful he is. When Goku goes to Super Saiyan 3 and gets taken out in one karate chop to the neck, I'm like, good god, man. Intense. And then when, you know, Boo tries to go up against him, gets defeated. And several of the other Dragon Ball Z characters go up against him and just get owned in less than, like, you know, was it a few moves. With Piccolo just getting taken out with chopsticks, man. <laughs> Disgraceful. <laughs> But um, even after Goku obtains the Super Saiyan God transformation, he's still like um, only learning to control that ability. But I also enjoy how this film shows Goku's appreciation for strength and how, as a Saiyan, he wants to obtain power, but he wants to obtain it via his own means and not have the power gifted to him like it was in this film. And this film really gets into the mindset of what Goku is about, not only just as a fighter, but also as someone who wants to obtain power, but wants to have the means of doing it. And uh, knowing that going through the ceremony and obtaining the Super Saiyan God ability was the only way that he'd stand a chance to, you know, defeat Beerus as opposed to fighting him in the way in which he was doing beforehand. And speaking of the Super Saiyan God transformation, I remember seeing the look of Super Saiyan God beforehand and thinking, oh, that's not a very interesting design, but when you see it in the grand scheme of things, I'm just like, you know what, it's actually a pretty cool design. It's simple, it's clean, and the aura looks really cool, and seeing him and Beerus go up against each other for the first time was so cool. And seeing how Goku's adapting to the abilities, and also, you know, was it how Beerus is training him as he's going along, it's really cool and interesting. And can I just say, the Super Saiyan God transformation sequence was great. I love the way in which it was done, with all the notable Saiyans that were available, and also Videl as well and the music during that sequence was fantastic so beautiful with the orchestrated music and the vocals oh that soundtrack overall the film score is just wonderful norahito sumitomo at least i hope that's how you say that person's name did a fantastic job with that film score wonderful and also speaking of adele i love this small moment where we get to see how um, Dende broke the news that Videl was pregnant and seeing Gohan's happy face and everybody super happy for her, I love that. There's not many moments in Dragon Ball where we get to have like, you know, real emotional moments, but that was literally just one of the most beautiful moments in Dragon Ball history for me, so I'm just like, that's great. And let me just talk about the visuals briefly as well. While the art is a little inconsistent, and obviously the use of 3D animation is utilized not only for the background, but for certain shots of the characters fighting each other, which looks a little video game-like, you know, not very good video game-like for the era of video games that we're in at the moment, I did really like the fact that since the backgrounds were mainly 3D, it allowed the characters to operate in a space where they could fly all over the place and do all sorts of crazy camera angles and crazy tracking shots, which 
some of these modern types of uh, camera work and stuff like that for animation has never been utilized in Dragon Ball Z before and to see it put into a Dragon Ball film was great some of those action sequences were fantastic from Goku and Beerus's initial fight in I think that was West City to some of the stuff in the mountains to seeing when Goku got crushed by all that debris and that underground cavern and then burst out as a Super Saiyan oh my god some of the animated sequences in the film were fabulous so good I also just loved how obsessed with food uh, Beerus was to the point where he really just wanted to go about and beat the crap out of Boo because he wouldn't give him any of that pudding Oh god, this film has all sorts of fantastic stuff going on. Um, I also loved how Vegeta had these really great moments to, uh, you know, shine as well. Not only trying to keep Beerus calm, but also just being overwhelmed with fear from who Beerus is and having obviously the childhood experience of watching his dad being completely humiliated by Beerus when he came to Planet Vegeta way back when. But yeah, this film is just great from beginning to end. It has such a great sense of respect for the franchise's history from the recap in the beginning till the end when you have all these manga strip references and all the deep cut references to Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z from characters to events from the history of the franchise. Oh, this film is so good. I love it. It's great. Alright, and now it's time to wrap this whole thing up with movie number 15, Resurrection F, which was a film that I was interested in but also apprehensive about because once we found out Freezer was coming back again, I'm like, why? Of all the people you could bring back, why? But also, why would you bring anybody back? With Battle of Gods, you did such a great job of introducing these new characters into the franchise who took the series forward and implemented a whole load of new material for the Dragon Ball franchise to, you know, bathe in and accept. But this was just a step backwards. We're bringing back the most iconic villain from the Dragon Ball franchise, granted, but why? How does he come back and why would we want him back? But I saw the film and at the time there was elements about it that I did like more so than the previous one. Mainly due to the fact that there was a lot more action in this film and several of the secondary cast who were relegated to, you know, just being on the sidelines. We finally got to see them in action. So, you know, characters like Tian Shinhan, Master Roshi, Krillin, Gohan and Piccolo, they all got to, you know, beat some people up even though these opponents weren't very strong just being able to see what kind of skills they still have in action was really fun um, but yeah the more I started to see this film I think I've seen it about maybe three times now it doesn't hold up as well and I think it gets slightly worse as the film goes on so this story basically involves the remnants of Frieza's army uh, led by this guy called Sorbet who is on earth to try and find a way to resurrect Frieza and Emperor Pilaf and his peeps have gotten the Dragon Balls and they summon the dragon and the dragon restores Freezer, but you know, just in the state that he was went just before he got destroyed. So that's just a big chunk of like Freezer chunks from when he got cut up by like uh, trunks. And um, they take those pieces of Freezer and then restore him in the machine. Freezer comes back and realizing that he's been out of commission for a while and knowing that his his opponents have gotten stronger he decides to train for the first time as well and so when um earth is about to be invaded by Frieza and his forces again we happen to get introduced to a new character at least via this film in the form of Jacko who talks to Bulma to warn her about Frieza coming and since Goku and Vegeta are training with Whis somewhere else 
they are not available to take on the threat head-on, so we have the remaining Z fighters who consist of Gohan Piccolo, Krillin, Master Roshi, and Tien Shinhan, and Jacko for good measure just to go about and hold the line until like our main Saiyan heroes show up. So they do pretty well to hold off all the uh, fighters for a while, but then Frieza comes along and literally just starts wrecking people left, right, and center. So then Goku and Vegeta finally show up and bust out their new Super Saiyan God Blue transformations, which do look pretty cool, I will admit. But then we see Frieza bust out his new transformation with the Golden Frieza form. And I do like the Golden Frieza look, to be fair. It's pretty cool. And seeing Frieza in such a powerful state was pretty interesting but then also realizing that Frieza obtained the power without properly you know was it conditioning the uh, transformation uh, he starts to lose power and it makes him slow and Goku takes advantage of that almost beating him completely but you know Goku being an idiot like he is eases up in his opponent which leaves him open to get you know taken out and then Vegeta steps in beats the crap out of Frieza but then the world almost gets blown up well, actually no the world does get blown up and <laughs> the gang is all saved by Whis so then Whis lets them know that they can go about and do a bit of time travel they go back do the whole thing again and then Goku basically beats Frieza straight away <sighs> it's interesting to see the use of time travel used to undo such a catastrophic event but at the same time it's just like Oh man, I, I feel like there could have been another way to go about and, you know, get around this whole freezer trying to destroy the world thing as well. It's so desperate of him and it makes his character seem like he's learnt nothing over the over the time that he's been away in hell and stuff like that. Frieza has some interesting character development in the sense that he is a little bit more self-aware than he was the first time. He's not as overconfident and he trains for the first time because he's been known as a prodigy and he, until Goku at least, there was no one that could ever beat him properly. So he has learned to, you know, was it at least learn from some of his mistakes and then become a uh, better fighter in order to prepare. He does some preparations and he is a little bit more strategic this time around. But the fact that he just goes back to, oh no, I'm losing. Let me just blow up the whole planet. I'm like, oh, you stupid little punk. Ugh. But yeah, the action sequences, some of that is, some of the stuff is done pretty well. I do like some of the action. I do like seeing uh, Master Roshi and Krillin do some cool stuff. Jacko has some interesting sequences here and there. And the fight between Goku and uh, Frieza is pretty good as well. However, I will say that some of the action is just a little flat. It lacks a sense of scope that comes with, you know, the previous Dragon Ball Z film. And also the action itself just seems a little plain with a lot of characters are flying around, uh, a lot of beam blasting, but just with a lack of impact. And um, some of the 3D action sequences, I think, is a little bit worse than the previous film just because there's so much of it. There's a lot more 3D based characters in this film than there was in the last one. And some of those characters look so ugly. But also, Gohan, oh my god, he got whooped like a little punk. It was so embarrassing. After all these years, and he just gets completely owned by Freezer. And I understand, Gohan hasn't trained for years. He's just not in practice. But the fact that he's fallen so far from Grace is it's very sad. 
and this film overall just doesn't leave a great impression. Freezer's alright, but he was far better utilized in Dragon Ball Super as opposed to this film. So yeah, um, of the modern Dragon Ball Z films, I would say Battle of Gods is much better. It had way more interesting elements and didn't go back to the basic well of stuff that we've seen with Dragon Ball Z material beforehand. So yeah, I mean, Resurrection F, it has some moments, but it's still a little meh, you know? And so with that, we are finally at the end with these Dragon Ball Z films. Of the 15 films that exist, I'd say my favorites would be The World's Strongest, Lord Slug, The Return of Cooler, Fusion Reborn, and Battle of Gods, with Battle of Gods being my top tier favorite of all of these films. One of the interesting things I noticed about watching these films in quick succession just before doing this podcast was the fact that a lot of the original Dragon Ball Z films average at around about 50 minutes. The first, I think, four or five are only about like just shy of 50 minutes long and they only got slightly longer as the films went on. Um, with the newer films, obviously, they were closer to like two hours, but I think just shy of that by about 15 minutes. But it's interesting to see how the original films mainly utilized the music from the original series with a few variations here and there. But the newer soundtracks adopt a totally different sound, which is, it feels modern, feels different. And that's what this series needs when moving into the modern era of HD and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, man, I've enjoyed watching these films. Some of them don't hold up as well as I remember, but some of them I do like a lot more. And a good chunk of the films do have some elements that are worth watching, although some of them you just don't need to see. <laughs> and now I look forward to the future where I get to see the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie in just around a month's time because the film's already out in Japan. It came out on December the 14th, but I am still a ways away from seeing that film, unfortunately. I don't think it gets its Western release over here until at least January 18th, I think, or it's the 23rd, it's one of those two. But you know I will be there. When I see that film, you will see a review for it on this podcast. I am absurdly hyped for this film. I've seen the majority of the trailers. I think I didn't see the final one. But the change in art style that looks a lot more like the uh, manga, the uh, super loose, stretchy... uh, animation looks really good uh, the reworking of the uh, original story with Broly and Goku and Vegeta is very interesting it has me you know interested yet concerned about like the way in which they changed and retconned some of this stuff but I've heard so many good things about this film or at least seen like snippets of good things about this film online that I have no doubt that I will enjoy this film and it probably will be the best of the Dragon Ball Z films so far so I look forward to it I'm hyped and yeah, uh, I'm ready. Dragon Ball Super, super brilliant movie. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for another episode of Film Focus. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts about any of the 15 Dragon Ball Z movies that exist in this episode that I've talked about, please be sure to drop me a line. I'd love to know which one's your favorite, which ones you like, which ones you don't like. Um, which opinions of mine do you agree or disagree with? Holler at me via the email account thehypersonder 55 at gmail.com or via Twitter where I'm at hypersonder 55 or at filmfocus 55 I know this episode has been a pretty long one but there is not many ways you can talk about Dragon Ball and not go for like a proper long man session so if you're still here at the end of this thank you
Thank you. I have been wanting to do this for a while, so um, hopefully this met your expectations. But yeah, this is me done for now. I'm going to go lie down, and um, yeah, I will see you on the next episode. So until the next time, this is the Hypersonic 85, signing out. Peace.